everyone to Peel Virtual Secondary School's Virtual Voices podcast. Uh, our guest today is Sunny Verma from Tutorbright. Sunny, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Samir. Wonderful. Um, little background, uh, Mr. Verma um, uh, and I have met uh, a number of years ago uh, when we were slightly younger uh, and when the, virtual pod when the virtual school podcast first came into existence, I couldn't think of a, a better person to host our very first episode. Um, so we have a few, uh, a few questions uh, that we're going to move through over the next about half an hour um, and hopefully you enjoy. So, uh, Mr. Verma, first of all, uh, Tutorbrite is your company. Um, it begs the question, what is Tutorbrite? Yeah, so Tutorbrite is an online and in-home tutoring company. And what we really focus on is raising a child's self-worth self-esteem alongside raising their grades. And we do this by taking a very holistic approach on students. And what I mean by that is that we focus on three specific C's. And by C's, I mean the letter C's. So we focus on confidence. And confidence is that inner voice that says, I can. We also focus on character, which is the second C. And that is really building characteristics that lead to greatness in every single individual that we come across. And lastly, and most importantly, I would say, the C that we focus on is curiosity. Curiosity creates wonder, it rids all ignorances, and honestly, I think it's the antidote for, for all the things that we do not know. Because if you don't know, you have to get curious. So these are the three C's that we still in every single one of our students. And that is how we encompass our overall learning platform with the students that we work with. That's wonderful. Really cool to hear. Um, so you are the president of this company. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to uh, found and become the president of Tutorbrite? Yeah, I would love to. And I have a little bit of a laughter in my voice because the funny part is, is that I never thought I'd be in education. If anything, I want to get as far away from school and education as possible when I graduated university because I thought I had enough of it. Um, and I was never the greatest student as well. So to find myself back here as a paraprofessional educator is quite, quite uh, serendipitous and quite um, beautiful. And I, I find it really interesting because I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I, I love the fact that at Tudor Bright, I get the opportunity to help students truly realize their dreams and, and experience their, their full potential and beyond and way beyond academics. Now, the reason why I say I never thought I'd be in this space is because it was a series of events that led me into tutoring. So let me take you a little bit on a journey, a little bit of background here. I finished my undergrad in business and I finished my master's in business. And I started working as a management consultant in downtown Toronto. And to say I dislike my job, I'd say would be an understatement. It was a great paying job, but not something that I really could find my footing or my passion in. And around that time when I started, I got a call from my friend and she told me about her younger sister. You see her younger sister, she was in grade 12. She was failing grade 12 English. And for all the students and parents that are listening, if you're unaware, grade 12 English, for the most part, is a required uh, course if you want to go to university. Not necessarily college, but it's definitely required for the majority of universities, at least in this country. And now this individual, she's failing grade 12 English. She had a bunch of tutors. It didn't work. They tried to get her secondary and supplementary support. None of that was working. So she said to me, she said, look, Sonny, you've always been interested in personal and self-development. We know that 
you know, you have a, a, a passion of learning, exploring about self-esteem and self-worth, would you be willing to coach and mentor my younger sister? Would you essentially be willing to tutor her? I was thinking, well, how do I say no to this pitch? So I decided to meet the student. And when I met with her, um, I remember the day. I, I don't think I've been that nervous in a very, very long time, to be honest, because here's the thing. I was meeting with her at a library. And as I'm walking through the library doors, I could feel my heartbeat really uncomfortably because I'm thinking, what did I just get myself into? I have never tutored before. I'm not a formal educator. What am I doing here? And lo and behold, I see this student sitting a couple tables away. So I walk over to her and I introduce myself and I say, hey, my name is Sunny. You know, I'm here to be your tutor. And she says to me, and I'll never forget this. She says, Sonny, it's really nice to meet you. But in all honesty, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> I look at her and I respond and I'm like, all right. Like I got a little bit of a tough cookie. I'm like, well, I'm here to be your tutor. And her, she has one sentence back and she says, yeah, like I said, that never works. And I was like, okay. Uh, well, you know, I remember being in grade 12 and uh, when I was in grade 12, I had a lot of essays to write, a lot of papers to, to get through, a lot of reading. I'm sure your teacher has some, has some sort of assignment that you have to write. And I will never forget what she said to me. She paused and stared at me and she said, like I said, I don't know what you're doing here. I can't even write. I'm like, oh my, I'm about to help a student in grade 12 English that claims they can't write. Now I'm like sweating from my armpits, from my forehead. I'm thinking, should I just pack all my stuff and get out of here? Because <laughs> this was like, I had no idea what I was going to do. But luckily enough, I had this epiphany moment. You see, there was a pen in my pocket and I pulled it out and I handed it to her. I unzipped my backpack, pulled out a notepad, and I also put it in front of her. I looked at her as confidently as possible, stared her right in the eye. I said, you claim you can't write. Can you write? You can't write on that sheet of paper, on that notepad that I just given you? I remember her reluctantly picking up the pen. She looked at me super confused and she begins to write this statement out. Now, as soon as she's done, I grab the pad of paper, I hold it up and I go, ha, you obviously can write because you just wrote, I can't write. And she laughed. I'm like, great, I got a breakthrough with her. And after the laughing and she's like, all right, all right, you got me. I was like, listen, there's a really sad underlying story here. You've been taught it's better to never try than to try and fail. You've been taught that your greatest goals and dreams and accomplishments don't start with the single act of trying. But guess what? Everything that you've ever admired that any single person has ever achieved, do you want to know what that started with? That started with trying. Where would your life be if you just tried? Where would your life be if you just decided that you were willing to pick up the pen and try in every aspect of your life? And I just remember those words really vibrated hard with her. Like I could, I could, I could see him resonating to a point where she was getting a little bit emotional. Sonny, I'm, like, I'm, I'm getting emotional. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting uh, you know, goosebumps and stuff. Just hear you speak. That, that is, that's, you know, why I got into space because she, I, I remember her looking at me and she's saying, I think you're right, but I'm a failure. I was like, no, no, no. You may have failed. You're not a failure. There's no such thing as a permanent failure. Failure is the, is the acceptance of trying. It means you've taken the first step. You're not here to get it right the first time around. You are here to just learn consistently and modify from each attempt moving forward. 
This is what all great individuals have ever done. This is the beauty for it. And, and failure, if you don't try, you by default fail. Why, why, not just, why not just go for it? And she's like, all right, let's go. Wow. The next two months, her grades went up in English. She, she literally went from failing to finishing off with over an 80% average in English, meaning she got above 90 on every single thing that we submitted, which is to me just wild to see this transformation, as well as she did better in every single one of her classes because she took that mentality and started applying it to everything. So, and, and I joke about this a little bit because I say, you know, as much as a catalyst of change as I was in her life, she was just as much as a catalyst of change in my life. Because she said to me, she, she like, when we were coming to the end of the semester, she was like, look, look, you, she, she, she knew I used to complain about my work because I'd come there and be like, oh, I had a hard day at work. And she'd say to me, she said, look, you have um, told me so much about, uh, how how important it is for me to try for my dreams? Why aren't you trying for yours? And I was like, ooh, <laughs> you got wow, it. Wow, what a what a reciprocal and, little relationship. Like, yeah, and she encouraged me to 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 literally go out and do what I'm doing now, which is helping every student I come across succeed academically and beyond. So that is how I got into this, um, in in into education, and why I say it's such a blessing and very serendipitous. Wow. That's uh, that's a really great story. And, you know, as I was listening to you, um, the sentiment about trying is explicitly uh, or it, it's applicable to school. But as I'm thinking now, as you were speaking, um, it's true of relationships like friendships, familial relationships. It's true of, um, of academics, of course. It's true of work. If yeah. you don't try, you never know. You don't, you don't even, you're not even playing the game. Never mind winning. Exactly. It. I like that. Um, so, in in your opinion, and maybe keeping along those lines too, I know that that anecdote was about one particular student. Uh, maybe maybe your most important student uh, that started it all. Uh, but in your opinion, um, and perhaps generally, what are some or what are the most common challenges uh, that students seem to face when it comes to education? Um, and how does Tutorbrite uh, adjust these these challenges? Yeah. So th that's a, a really great question and I've gotten this quite often. So I've had some time to speculate and really think about this and, and through the experience of working with thousands upon thousands of students, I would say with, uh, with a fairly strong degree of confidence, the number one thing that prevents success in students and the number one challenges and resistance that they come up to is their ability to believe in themselves. Is to their ability to believe in their dreams, their ability to hope on their ambitions. Now, let me give you a little bit of what I mean here. Mm -hmm. So when I first started tutoring, I, I did this icebreaker to, of course, get to know students, but I also wanted to see where their head's at. And in this icebreaker, I asked students two questions and only two questions. The first question I asked them is a question you've been asked and every single one of us have been asked before. That's the question of what do you want to be when you're older? Uh, now, because it's oh, yeah, the question in the world, what do you want to do? The hardest and the boringest question that you could ever get, right? And because it's such a boring, hard question, we give like these boring answers. We say what our parents tell us to say. We say doctor, lawyer, engineer, nurse, cop, whatever, right? And it's said with such lackluster when I asked kids this. It was like some rehearsed, regurgitated answer that they really didn't mean. Like it, it was just something that they've been programmed to say. 
Now I take the same kid and I ask him question number two. I hold up my hand and I say, in my hand, pretend there is a magic pill. And if you were to swallow this magic pill, you could become great at anything. What would you become great at? Now their eyes widen, they perk up a little bit, there's excitement in their voice, and I hear, I'd be a famous YouTuber, I'd play in the NHL, I would become an astronaut, I'd be the Prime Minister, I would change the world, I would cure cancer. I hear these amazing, vast ambitions that these kids are willing to bestow on me. I'm like, whoa, this kid is telling me their true hopes and dreams. It's amazing. But there's a sad story here as well. You see, I asked the exact same kid pretty much the exact same question. I said, what do you want to be when you're older? And if you could be great at anything, what would you be? Yet the answers quite often are distinctly different. So it begs the question, why? Why do we suppress our hopes, our dreams, and ambitions, and our belief in ourselves at such a young age? Now, this is why, at least a speculation of why. You see, when I, when I ask, the, when I do this, when I ask these two questions, a real interesting phenomenon happens. Their parents, their guardians, or even themselves, right? Many times even the students themselves would, would say, you know, it's great that you got me thinking about my dreams, or it's great that you got my child thinking about their dreams, whoever, whoever I'm talking to. But, you know, it, you know, it's great that, that my, my, my son or my daughter is, is considering all these amazing things for their future. But Sonny, we'd love if you could just tone it down a little bit. <laughs> I'll say, tone it down? What do you mean tone it down? We got them excited. Come on, let's go. And they're like, well, we like you to tone it down because, you know, we don't want to get their hopes up. Mm. Well, if you don't want to get their hopes up, then what direction do you want their hopes to go? You see, in this world that you live in, that I live in, and that every single student that's listening lives in, there's only two directions you could push your hopes, up or down. So mm. it begs the question, what direction do you want to push your hopes? Are you going to hoist your hopes up or are you going to push them down? And this this is really important. This is something I like to let every student know. You see, when you go for, your dreams will change. Your ambitions are going to change. And that's fair. You don't need to necessarily follow your passion. You need to, you need to cultivate a sense of enthusiasm. But when you really go for what you want in your life, you're going to be told by so many others that it's nearly impossible. When you go for your dreams, your hopes, ambitions, academically, whether that be an A+, or whether that's truly just changing the world, it doesn't matter what it is. You're going to be told it's nearly impossible. And here's what I recommend. The next time somebody tells you your dreams, your hopes, or ambitions are nearly impossible, you tell them, I'm going to focus on the nearly, and you can focus on the impossible. Because mm -hmm. in that little sliver of nearly is where the magic of life happens. It is where you get the good grade. It is where you change the world. It's when, you, you know, it's when your dreams come to fruition. And you need to be able to cultivate the belief in the nearly. Everything great that's ever happened in this world happened in that nearly. It didn't happen in the impossible. So one of the things I tell kids and tell students quite often, it's okay to dream big. It's okay to have vast ambitions. Honor those. Get excited about that. Cultivate that exuberance and that enthusiasm because that is what's needed to move forward. And know that even though the world doesn't think it can happen, it can still happen. Wow. You know, um, I think I want to stay with this this sentiment a little, only for a little bit. Um, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, for students, but even for for people, right? Adults too, for everyone. That that kind of almost or nearly um, that little sliver of, of of you know potential, rather than focusing on the the impossible big picture. Um, 
and I'm veering off script a little bit, but what, what can a person do? Student, adult, parent, staff member, whatever. Um, how do we stay motivated when maybe external factors don't always support that mentality? That is a great question. So there's a few things, right? There's some, the, the first one that I always remind students, every failure, resistance, and obstacle is temporary. None of them are set in stone. Mm. The way I kind of look at it, it is, it's just like something to reflect off of. It's like, it is just something to bounce off of. If we don't, if you're not following the right direction, or let's just say what you really want, there's some sort of failure that came into play. That doesn't mean it's over. It 100% doesn't mean it's over. What it means is the time to reflect, modify, and progress in a slightly different direction. Sometimes taking a step backwards to move forward in a different direction is much better than consistently trying to push through. And that really starts with understanding that the magic in that nearly, that magic in the possibility doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It means your plan may have to modify. So that's the first thing. The second thing I tell kids and parents all the time, focus on what you can control. That's your actions. Those are your habits and those are your behaviors. And that is your mindset. If you can control your actions, habits, behaviors, and mindset, you will find this nearly wedge starts to open up a lot greater than just a wedge. Right, your, your ways of actually accomplishing these goals, the specific routes in which you're going to get to them will start to modify because the spectrum will change. You'll have more options and opportunities. So how do you change your action habits and behaviors? Well, that is simply put, that is your effort. You start to look at all the things that you're doing that aren't contributing to it and all the things that you are doing and contributing it and make a list. It's really easy to make the list. It's not so easy to reflect because you'll probably notice some things that you should be doing differently on there. And then your attitude or your mentality. This, I think, plays a much larger factor than we give it credit for. Even in recent studies, they said the number one predictability in high in high achieving students, meaning students who actually do well academically and beyond, is grit. This is out of a paper from, uh, from Harvard University. So what is grit? Grit doesn't mean I'm just going to keep going. It's a way I view the problem in order to allow me to keep going, right? So there is a sense of, of becoming and allowing yourself to be gritty with it. And I'm not saying if failure isn't an option. Failure will happen, but that just means modification. It doesn't mean throwing the towel. We have to redefine what failure means. Failure doesn't mean I need to quit. Failure means I need to persevere. The best way of encouraging and fostering this mindset is what I is is going through what I call famous failures. So what is a famous failure? A famous failure is going through the narratives, the stories of people who have achieved great things by overcoming a substantial amount of obstacles. People like Michael Jordan, who famously did not make his varsity basketball team. People like Thomas Edison, who had to try roughly 10,000 times to make the light bulb, etc, etc, etc. Every single day, what I've done with students in the past is go through famous failures. So I send them one, they'd read it and tell me what they've learned from it. And the learning is, I got to keep going. It means I got to find a new way, but I still got to keep going. And this is how you do it. You reprogram your mind to redefine what failure means. Like I said, mm -hmm. failure doesn't mean I need to quit. It means I need to persevere. Failure goes from the opposite of success to the number one ingredient of success. Wow. 
Wow, I do like that. It's al- it's almost like uh, you know, if, if you have some some sort of expectation of failure throughout the process, um, and you know, you, you do things that are within your control. Um, it sounds like s- such a healthy way to 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 move through all sorts of problems in school, out of school, all sorts. Um, Absolutely. Kind of in, in keeping with the same sentiment, and uh, we're going to get perhaps a little personal. Um, in maintaining grit in the face of a uh, failure or potential failure or maybe anxious feelings about expectations, um, in 2020, the whole world experienced the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and very explicitly, it affected uh, the education industry. Um, for students listening out there, for parents, you remember, um, school stopped outright for four to six weeks. And when it came back for the following two years, it was not the same. Um, how did the COVID-19 pandemic impact uh, your industry, like the tutoring industry, the education industry? And, and did TutorBright do anything a little different to adapt to those changes when they, when they presented themselves? COVID was, well, you know, I'm knocking on, on wood right now that it's over. <laughs> and it was, I think, it, an exceptionally challenging time for most people specifically for me as um as an entrepreneur and somebody who's in the space of tutoring um it was a crazy crazy time most of the world thought because schools were shutting down that parents would start to enroll their children into tutoring but actually it was quite the opposite the exact opposite happened when schools shut down tutoring stopped so as a person who has a a, you know has a, a team that they support in addition to that, you know, makes their entire livelihood from tutoring. I was at the whims of school closures, just as many people were. And in March 2020, when the first lockdown was announced, 80% of the students that we work with disenrolled due to not knowing what was going to happen. And overnight, we did not know, I had no idea of the security of my future. Now, it was a hard time for several reasons. The number one being is, you know, had no idea when we were going to come back to normal. Um, And it took obviously a few years to get there. Now, the way, interestingly enough, all I could control is my efforts, habits and behaviors and mentality. So I looked at it and thought, you know, most of the most of what we did prior to the pandemic um, was in-home tutoring, not online tutoring. So what we did was develop one of the most innovative online virtual classrooms that is in existence today that had some really great features for, for students of all ages to actually find some fun and engagement with online. So that's the first thing. We redirected all our efforts and focus to make online learning an awesome experience, not an experience where you're dreading and you're like, oh, when's this thing going to be over? Or, you know, like my technology is not working. We wanted to eliminate all of that. And the second thing is to remain optimistic, even in the sight of, of a storm. And the beauty that the pandemic has done, especially for education, it shed light way beyond academics. And the term that keeps coming to mind is whole student. And the reason for that is now the conversations around mental health and academic performance are tied into one, which I when I started with that first student that I told you about, her lack of her own self-confidence is what was leading her to to fail grade 12 English and her self-belief and her ability to try is what got her back 
to where she wanted to be. So interestingly enough, this dialogue about building your mental health, your self-esteem, your confidence, your compassion, your empathy, your understanding of the world and yourself has drastically changed for students of all grades and ages. So I'm starting to see students way more self-aware, way more ambitious, way more curious than ever before. And I think that is a result of the pandemic. So remaining optimistic during that time, I'm grateful to see the changes that are starting to percolate and that we're seeing today in our students. Wow. I, I do like that. And, um, you know, in full transparency, uh, Peel Virtual Secondary School was did come out of uh, a very bad situation that was the pandemic um, to support students that really thrive in the online environment, um, which which kind of leads me to my next uh, my next question. I'd love to get your opinion on um, do you have any either general or specific tips uh, for students, for educators, maybe for parents uh, on how to make the most of online learning um, and tutoring opportunities? Yeah. So online learning is not going away. So I want to make that really clear. If anything, I think it's going to become more and more relevant and more and more prevalent in our society. And I think it becomes really important on two fronts. One, how to become a great online educator. And number two, and I'd say even more importantly, how to become a great online learner. Now, online learning is also like a double-edged sword, right? You can kind of sign in from wherever, you know, nobody's really checking if you're paying attention. And, you know, that also means if the sessions are recorded or you can access them at any time, you can probably, you know, if you're a procrastinator, it may not be the greatest thing for you. So it does require you hone in some new skills. Now, in order to hone in those new skills, here's what I recommend. Number one, and, and these are going to sound basic, but, but they're really important. At least five to 10 minutes before any learning session, make sure your technology is working. And what I mean by that, make sure that, you know, the platform in which you're learning on, whether that be Zoom or MS Teams or some alternative, you know, it could be DTL or Google Classrooms, whatever it is, it is, you, you have, you have no problem accessing it, making sure your mic's working, making sure that, you know, you have enough power in your laptop or your computer or whatever it is that you're using, making sure that you, the Wi-Fi is working, that you are good to go. A lot of times, most people stumble on this class, onto classes and say, oh, no, my, you know, my, I can't log in for whatever reason. Log in mm. in advance, just a couple minutes before. Think about you, you always have to, like, walk to class and show up to class at a certain, you know, a few minutes early. It's way easier doing it from the comfort of wherever you are sitting than having to walk into the classroom. So take advantage of it by showing up a few minutes learning to ensure everything is working on your end. Number two, clear your space. So what I mean by that is work from an environment that is the most conducive to your learning. Typically, that means if you're learning from your desk, make sure you have your papers clear, your notepad opened up, that everything is somewhat organized around that learning place. Because if you're in that classroom, um, if you were in school, you typically don't have much on your desk. And there's good reason for it. It's because it allows you to focus and pay attention. So replicate that as much as possible by clearing your space in your household or wherever you are actually learning. Number three, I would say this probably um, the most importantly, um, and lastly, is <laughs> minimize your distractions. The greatest thing about the internet, it gives us to so much entertaining things from YouTube to all the social media as a, to, to games and every, everything in between. Put all that away. Focus on what you're there to focus on. 
Because when you focus on what you're supposed to focus on, it will eliminate the time that you're going to have to review your notes afterward. Number two, you're going to be able to access more online learning. The biggest restriction that we see on online learning today from an educator standpoint is that children may not perform as well as children who go to traditional styles classrooms. Now, a lot of people want online learning to work, so it's up to you to make it work. In order for you to make it work, when you remove your distractions, when you remove the things that prevent you from paying attention while the teacher is explaining something online, it will it will um, really enhance your outcomes in academics. It will enhance your learning curve. It's going to enhance all the things that you're going to want it to enhance. And and then as a as a as a sub point to that. One of the greatest things that online learning, I think, has given us is the ability to ask for help when we need it. So it's a lot easier to message your teacher on a DM saying, hey, I don't really understand that. And you don't have to look stupid because nobody's seen you put up your hand, which I think is a really important factor that not everybody's taken into consideration. In addition to that, leverage other resources. Let's say you didn't fully understand that. And maybe the way the teacher explained it isn't the best way that it, that's most suitable for you. The amount of other educators that are explaining that exact same concept on YouTube or Instagram are there. Look them up. See what resources are at your fingertips. You have them for you. So essentially, in order to make online learning really viable and valuable for a student, take it into your own hands. Take it into your own hands because trust me, when I was growing up, I wish I had this. I really wish I had this as an option. And this is why I recommend take advantage of this. I really, really appreciate those sentiments. And, you know, it, it I believe it, it links back to the sentiment about um, grit, but maybe more importantly, uh, knowing what you have control over and knowing the things that you have control to change uh, in pursuing a goal. So whether it be something like very specific, like, you know, moving distractions out of a learning space uh, is a form of, of, of active agency, um, minimizing distractions, and like you said, reaching out for support. Um, Sonny and I uh, are very similar in age, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm sure Sonny will agree, um, we did not have all of this available to us when we were navigating secondary school. Definitely not. At all. And if we did, um, it, it it would have changed us. It's, uh, it's very compelling, and you can appreciate that all, all of our young people in secondary school now are navigating something that no one has ever before which is uh kind of exciting when you when you when you think about it that way um so we're gonna round it off with uh, maybe another couple of sentiments here um so tutor bright specifically um it's been a success for a while it continues to be a success um do you have any specific plans or goals aspirations for the future of tutor bright um and how do you plan on continuing to make a positive impact on uh, students in their lives. Yeah, so tutor, tutoring is, is somewhat of a competitive supplemental education industry. There's a lot of different tutoring providers out there. And honestly speaking, I don't mind that at all. I think if somebody finds the right tutor, whether it's through TutorBright or through any other means, that's awesome. Because I think a great tutor isn't just somebody who's going to help you with your academics. They're going to be a cheerleader for you. They're going to be a mentor for you. There's somebody that you're going to confide in that's really going to show you not just the ABCs and one, two, threes and how to do well on your math test. They're going to be somebody that's going to help you negative, like navigate the really sticky points in life. 
And I noticed that with the relationships that I've developed with my students who I'm still tutoring to date, who have been tutoring for years now. And it's, it's truly like an honor. It's so cool to be a part of a student's life like that. And so when I think about my ambitions for Tutor Bright and growing it and where it can go, the way I've always seen this is that we've been blessed because parents through tutoring give us to some degree the keys to their child's future. So nothing can take precedence over the child's overall well-being and success. Nothing. That means everything as a tutor you need to do, you do in order to help the student academically and beyond. And what I'm really proud to say and what I want to continually do is I think, you know, we have a roster of thousands of tutors. I think all of them care like this. I constantly are getting comments from parents and students themselves telling me the impact that the tutor has had on their lives. And, and that to me is beyond any growth from the company standpoint. Of course, I want the company to grow, but I know at its core, it isn't a genius marketing technique. It isn't the greatest technology. It is by far the care and compassion and the efforts we put towards our students is going to be the, has always been our growth root and will always be the root of all our growth. I can definitely empathize with that. I'm sure the rest of the um, Peel Virtual Secondary School staff can, uh, that that resonates with. Um, the part about, you know, educators, tutors, um, OCT teachers, uh, of us being that parentis operandi, that's, uh, that's mm. uh, Latin and legal for um, parent during the day. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, it really, it really is a privilege to be of service in, in this industry where we get to help people become better, realize their dreams, um, fulfill their potential. It's uh, I really, really like that. It really is a, pri a privilege. Um, so I think lastly, our last item here, um, and we kind of, we've, you've been through this all already a little bit. Um, of course, it feels good to be happy, but to expect happiness all the time in this world uh, may, may not be the right expectation. Um, <laughs> do you have any perhaps closing thoughts or, or tips that, that uh, students, their families um, can, can maybe consider when trying to strive for perhaps a more resilient life that, that leads to more moments of happiness? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to do my best to answer this in a non-woo-woo way, okay. right? <laughs> because, <laughs> and, and the reason for that, um, I'm gonna back this with a little bit of science um, and as well as some experience here because I've seen these two things do tremendous, like when I see tremendous, I, I the last students I work with and after six months doing these two techniques before every session with him, his mother told me he's unrecognizable for the good. Like she, she's like, I do not know what happened, but my son has never felt better or has been better. This is amazing. And I will, okay, Mr. Verma, I will like, our yeah. speak. please, please, please. So this, this is something that we've all heard about probably, at least I would assume, and that is positive affirmations and gratitude. So what is a positive affirmation? It is a positive self-reflection. That is it, right? And the reason why this is important, I was part of an experiment called the Honest Experiment. And in the Honest Experiment, we brought in a group of 
early uh, like junior and senior level high school students from anywhere from grade 9 to grade 12 into a classroom they, they've opted into this experiment and when they sat down in the classroom they noticed two sheets of paper in front of them and myself or one of my colleagues would walk to the front of the classroom and we say first of all thank you for participating participating in the onset experiment but um, the reason why you're here today is to answer two specific questions and that's why you have two sheets of paper for each question you're going to have one sheet of paper that you can write on and you're going to have a minute to answer each question does that make sense every student nods yes that makes sense and i say okay here's a major catch there is no right or wrong answer now i'm getting smiles from the audience feeling great <laughs> i don't have to do anything and i'm like are you ready for question one all the students nod yes I say question one i want you to write down everything you dislike and you change about yourself and your life the minute starts tick 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 by the end of the minute these kids eyes are welled up their hands are sore from writing we didn't anticipate a five minute breather but we had to give them a five minute breather they walked in the hallways because this was like obviously it's a pretty you know it they're like looking back you know this is this is a very emotionally charging exercise yeah, and when the kids come back into this room yeah, it's very intense. They come back to the room and the second sheet of paper is in front of them. I walk to the front of the classroom and I say, question number two, I want you to write down everything that you love about yourself and you love about your life. Once again, the minute starts. But guess what? This time, more than, no more than, I believe at our highest level, 18% of students picked up the pen and those who did finish in under half a minute. So it tells us where our head's at. It tells us we're really good at self-critique, but really bad at self-criticism. Sorry, we're, yeah, yeah, self-compliment. Self we're really bad at self-compliment. This is the, the terrible thing is, is that self-compliment leads to your self-resilience. If you want to build resilience, you have to acknowledge all the things you've done well. So here's how you do it, right? Here's what I recommend that you do. You see, the number one form of punishment in our country is detention. What does detention mean? It means you take a child who's done something wrong, you put them in isolation, and you want them to think about three things. You want them to think about what they did wrong, why they did it wrong, and how they'll never ever do it again. You want them to dwell, you want them to stew, you want them to, to essentially feel a certain way so they don't replicate the mistake. And great, you can always learn from your mistakes. I'm all for that. But what happens when you do something right? How do you reward yourself? How do you reward the student? You typically say, you know, you could play your video games a little bit longer. Maybe you can call your, hang out with your friends a little bit more. Maybe you can, you know, have a longer recess, whatever it may be. But why aren't we asking the same three questions? When we do something right, why don't we sit down and say, hey, what did I do right? Why did I do it right? And how can I replicate this in my future? The objective in life isn't to always be your harshest critic. That's going to, that's a natural human characteristic, but it's also to be your best complimenter. And that's the part that we forget. And when you build the best, when you become the best complimenter, you start to realize, yes, you can learn from your mistakes, but you'll realize that your resilience is born from the reflection of what you've done right. The reflection of all that you really are. And this is why I recommend students every single day, write down at least one to three positive affirmations for yourself. And they can be simple, like I am capable, I am worthy, I am awesome. Have this as like a repeat for yourself. Every morning, every night, uh, a good friend of mine who's a scientist and, and, uh, and, and uh, 
pioneer in this field has said it's like a toothbrush for the mind. It scrubs out the negativity and replenishes it with positivity. And why not live a more positive life? Resilience requires positivity. It requires optimism. Why be resilient on something that you don't believe in? You're just automatically going to throw in the towel. This is why it's important. And it starts at any age. I wish I did it when I was younger, honestly. And it's something I did put in my daily practice today. But this is why I institutionalize it with my students. It's weird for them to do it at first. They'll even say, like, this is kind of weird. But by, like, you know, week four, they're like, I'm feeling pretty darn good. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? It's a good feeling. And it's great because you start to own what you, like I said, you really own the truth. And that is this amazing being that has amazing potential that they are going to experience at this moment onwards in their life. That is so beautiful. And, you know, uh, I'll be very honest, the, the idea of positive as affirmation specifically, um, I did kind of see it as a little woo-woo at first yeah. uh, and over time, and, you know, as, I've, as it's come up more and more. But now after hearing you speak about it and it's, it's obvious and quantifiable impacts on behavior and mood for all sorts of, all sorts of people, young and old, um, I think that's going to be my homework. And I would, uh, would encourage perhaps uh, perhaps our listeners. Uh, so the the challenge, we'll say, forget homework, the challenge is one to three positive affirmations, write them down, put them somewhere that you frequent in your home or your house or your space uh, every morning, every evening, and let's see if it has an impact. There's, there's no harm in trying, right? Not at all. I love it. So with that, um, Mr. Verma, thank you so much for your time. Um, if our listeners want to kind of get, maybe get to know or access more information about you or get a hold of you, uh, where do they go? Where are you on socials? Yeah, yeah. You can, they can, they can um, link with me on Instagram um, at Sunny S U N N Y V underscore T B. That that's my Instagram handle. Or they're welcome to email me at Sunny at tutorbright.com. Wonderful. So good to hear. Uh, and for all of PLO Virtual Secondary School and our Virtual Voices podcast, I'm Mr. Chala. Thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. Mm -hmm.